Please be seated and continue to pray with me. Holy God, we do need you. You are our defense. You are our righteousness. Without your spirit at work in our lives, without your mercy and grace to overcome our failings and our sin, we cannot hope to live into this calling that you've given us. This idea that you have made us in your image and you have called us to be your people in this world. Would you speak to us again through your word this morning? And would you whisper to us through your spirit in our own hearts what you would want us to know about how you've made us and how you have called us to live according to your purposes. And help us to know that we will go away today forever changed because we have met with the living God this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I shared, we are in our second week of our series, Made, Discovering Who You Are Meant to Be. Uh, God made you the way you are on purpose, if you can believe it. God created you with value and dignity in spite of what your friends tell you. God designed you to have a meaningful role in this world in spite of how successful or unsuccessful you may feel about your life in this world. God handcrafted your life to be a reflection of himself in spite of whether or not you see his image in you. Psalm 139, 14 tells us, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, I, I want to just take a minute as we get started here this morning to just ask you a question, because I was thinking about this for myself, and I'm wondering if your experience of, of life kind of day-to-day is similar to my experience. How often do you wake up in the morning and go stand in front of the mirror and go, oh yeah, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> what, that's not your experience? That's not, that's not what your morning is like? I mean, some days as you think about the kind of person that you are, you might think of words like average or not so bad might come to mind. Or some days you might actually think you're above average. But if you're like me, there are many times where there are those days when you look a little closer in the mirror and you begin to see your deeper insecurities and flaws that you just can't ignore or seem to overcome. If you ever consider yourself unremarkable or ordinary or even less than others or less than you want to be or hope to be, you're not seeing yourself as you really are. You are a result of God's divine creation and he made you in his image. The reality is that you are God's unique and special design. There is no one else like you. You are made in his image, and as a result, you have the dignity and the value that comes from God alone and isn't dependent on the value judgments of this world or even how you feel about yourself this morning. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, we read last week where it tells us that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them 
and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we talked about last week how in the ancient world, this idea of an image had a lot to do with idol worship. Idols were images that were used in worship by the the pagan religions to to represent the, the presence and the power of a deity in the world. And to bear the image of a god wasn't to bear the physical likeness. It wasn't supposed to be a picture of what the god looked like, but it was to claim the essence of the god and the god's power and authority to be active in the world. And what the Bible tells us is this amazing thought that you were created in the image of, of your god with the capacity and potential to reflect the divine nature, to reflect the divine character in the world around you, in your own life and in your relationships and in all those that God would lead you to connect with. Even more than that, we talked about last week how as Christians, our redemption in Christ has greatly restored this capacity to be God's image bearers in the world. That that image was, was never lost, but it was twisted and broken by the fall. As sin came in, we lost the ability to understand and, and, and to actively live into this responsibility to be God's reflection, to, to reflect God accurately in our lives and in our relationships. And so Christ came uh, to, to, to make us new again, to restore us to God's original design to be his co-creators, his co-agents in the world, to carry his essence and his power and his character in our own lives. And as a result of that, we've discovered that we now, as Christ followers, have a responsibility to work for the dignity and the value of all people in the world because we know that every human being was created in the image of God. So as Christians, our aspiration is to become more and more like the God who created us. And the Bible reveals to us that in order to do that, in order to become more and more like God, we need to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, who is the, vi- the, the image of the invisible God for us. He is the one who reveals to us the true heart and character of the God who created us. And in that goal, we find our heart's true purpose in life. But this morning, I'd like to ask, how do we begin to live into that purpose and fulfill the goal of bearing God's image in this world in which we live? And I'd like to suggest that it starts with the most important reality that God wants a relationship with you. God designed you with this unique capacity to know him and to be known by him. The God of the universe. Think about this. This is a pretty amazing truth that that we get from the Bible, right? The God of the universe who, who flung the stars in heaven, who put the sun and the moon in their orbits, who has the planets going in the ways that they go, wants to have a relationship with you. Sometimes we might think we're not worthy of having that kind of relationship with God. 
We've messed up too many times. We've tried and failed repeatedly. We don't really feel like we have much value in this world, and so we don't really see what God could really want with us, or perhaps we think that God's relationship with us is going to restrict our freedom and our ability to have fun, and so we we don't really pursue a relationship with God because we're more interested in, in doing what we want to do in the world. And yet the Bible reveals to us that God is a God who loves each and every person that he created as if you were the only one. The amazing message of Jesus, this good news of the Bible, is that God values each individual person as his uniquely designed creation, his masterpiece, his artwork. God values you as the bearer of his image in a way that no other person could ever hope to bear his image. So much so that he's not willing to leave you or forsake you. Even if you turn your back on him and you repeatedly run away, he's not going to let you go. He's going to pursue you because he's jealous for you, because he made you in love and he wants to be in relationship with you. No matter where you've been or what you've done, or what you failed to do, God still wants a relationship with you. And in that relationship, he wants to restore the capacity that he designed in you and in me to be his image bearer in the world, a reflection of his heart and his character to the world around you. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God loves you as if you were the only one that was ever created. And Jesus went to the cross for you as if you were the only one that needed rescue. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. That's what the message of Jesus is all about. It's not that he doesn't value the other 99, right? In fact, just the opposite. He values each one equally so that he's willing to forego the the presence of the 99 to go after the one lost sheep because his desire is that not one sheep would be lost. Out of this, I want to suggest for us this morning two truths that we need to, to really allow to soak into our minds and into our hearts that lead us to discover what we were meant to be. And the first one is that you were designed for relationship with God. That's a part of what it means to be created in God's image. You were designed for relationship with God. Because we are made in the image of a relational God, God exists in in a triune relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From his very nature, God is all about relationship. Because we are made in the image of of a relational God, we are inherently relational beings ourselves. We were made for relationships. 
That's what really makes Christianity so unique. See, the God we worship is a God who wants a personal relationship with us, so much so that, that he doesn't want us to just serve him. He wants to serve us. Right? That's what Jesus' whole message was. I have come. Uh, he, he gave up his throne. He gave up his power. He came to demonstrate that he was going to wash his own disciples' feet. Ew. God wants to serve us? If God serves us, wouldn't, how does that mean we should be living our lives in relationship with one another? You see, in discovering our God-designed capacity for healthy, life-giving relationships with other human beings, we begin to recognize that Christianity isn't about a bunch of religious rule-keeping. It's about discovering the very nature and purpose for why God created us in the first place. And as we experience the deeper meaning and purpose for why we exist in this world, the result is joy and peace, even in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances. God's unconditional love expressed to you and to me in Christ Jesus is what restores our God-designed capacity to know him and to love him and to be known and loved by him. You are created for a relationship with God. See, this is what Jesus has enabled us to experience. Again, we lost the ability to really understand and to know God in that way. So, so Christ came and he built a bridge. He overcame the brokenness of our sinful lives and he opened the door that we could be in relationship with God without having to earn it. So it's not about how good you are. It's not about how many sins you've not committed. It's about whether you want to say yes to Jesus and accept his grace and his mercy in your life. It's a free gift, and there's nothing you need to do other than say yes. So the first and most important truth we need to take away as we understand what we were designed and created to be and to do in this world is that we were made for relationship with God. And as his image bearers in the world, then that leads us to the second truth that we need to understand is that as image bearers of God, we are called to pursue healthy, life-giving relationships with one another in his name. The second thing is that you are designed with the capacity for relationships with other people. See, it seems clear to me from Scripture that much of what we gain and what we learn through our experiences of life and relationship with one another is all designed to aid us in mirroring the kind of connection that God wants to have with us. We practice relationship with God by living it out in relationships with real flesh and blood people in our lives. Right? The Bible says, how can you love the God who you can't see when you're not even able to love the brother or sister who you can see? See, and we know that when Jesus was being tested by the, the experts in the law, right? Well, Jesus, well, out of all of these commandments, which one do you think is the greatest? Right? And Jesus says, well, the one commandment is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But there's a second that's like it, and you have to hold them in tension with each other. He says, you have to also love your neighbor as yourself. 
And see, in, in, in that understanding, Jesus is also recognizing the vertical and the horizontal connection between this idea that we are designed for relationship with God, but are, as image bearers, we're also designed to bear his heart and his character into relationships with other people. And if we're not doing the latter, we might not really have the right connection to the former because the two go hand in hand. That's why I, I think Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, expressed it in this way. In chapter 5, verses 14 to 21 of 2 Corinthians, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So, so Christ has leveled the playing field, right? There is no righteousness that any of us have to claim any right to the grace of God. We all come as, as beggars you know, at the foot of the cross, dependent on God's mercy and grace in our lives. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What does he mean by that? Well, we don't look with just materialistic eyes. We don't just see the scientific reality of our world. We recognize that because Christ not only died, but he rose again, there is a deeper spiritual reality to all of life and all of our relationships in this world. And that Christ has come to reveal this true nature of why we were created the way we were and what God's desire for us to experience in this life is. We don't look just with our fleshly eyes anymore. We now see with the eyes of faith. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. This message is the good news. It's the gospel message. It's the story of Christ, and do we understand that the story of Christ is not about religious rule-keeping? It's all about healthy, life-giving relationships and being participants as co-creators with God of restoring the dignity and the love of each human person that God has created. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. You see, here's this idea that we are God's image bearers. We bear God's righteousness to one another because we have received that righteousness as a gift. It's something now we can give to others and it flows through forgiveness and mercy and grace. Rather than seeking to grab and control and to dominate others in our lives, we seek to live a life like Christ where we say, how can I serve Reconciliation is all about restoring broken relationship, which is at the heart of restoring the image of God in each one of us. And I'd like to suggest this morning that this image of being ambassadors of reconciliation that Paul lays out here is really the ultimate fulfillment of what it means to be made in the image of God. 
Let's jump back to Genesis 21, 28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, of course, we can read this from a purely physical and biological perspective, right? God is telling mankind to multiply, fill the earth with more people, be fruitful, right? That, that's a part of it. But, but I also think there's a deeper spiritual reality that, that the Bible continually connects with as we go back to this origin story of how God created us and why he created us in his image. As we understand this deeper meaning and value of being made in God's image, we discover some essential mindsets that allow us to look with healthier perspective on what the purpose of life is in this world. I, I want to suggest to us three mindsets that help us to understand what does it mean to live out this role that we have been given as image bearers that sets us on a path to be ambassadors of reconciliation. First thing that we learn from Genesis 1.28 is that in order to be fruitful, I'd suggest we have to have a harvest mindset. There's a principle of consequences in the Bible that, that we have to understand when it comes to living a fruitful life. In Galatians 6, 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. You see, there's an organic, built-in relationship in our lives between the seeds that we plant with our words and our actions in our relationships in this world that impact the kind of harvest we get back out of the relationships that we have. Does that make sense? In the physical world, you would never plant peach pits and expect apple trees, right? In the same way, there, there will be an organic consistency between the seeds of the words and the actions that you plant in the relationships in your life and the quality and the type of harvest that you will get as a return, whether it's days or weeks and even years down the road. Every day we harvest the relational fruit that has come from the seeds and the words that we've planted in the previous days and years of our investment. Every day we plant seeds of words and actions that will later produce some kind of harvest. Most of the seeds you plant will be small, little seeds. But the reality is, if you think about it, a thousand little seeds planted over time grow up to be a, a forest, an environment-changing forest of fruit trees that, that produce a, a, a wonderful harvest. Our relationships are continually opportunities for us to be planting seeds that will produce fruit for God's righteousness or for the continued broken, sinful nature of our lives. We have a choice which we will choose. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. How about you this morning? If you were to honestly think about your life today, what is the fruit that you are currently experiencing in your relationships? Or perhaps how are you intentionally planting seeds that are designed to produce a harvest of God's righteousness in the lives of those he's called you to love and to serve? 
See, if we have a, a harvest mentality to life in this world, we recognize the immense value of every small little seed that we plant in the lives of those we love with the hope that in God's grace, it will produce a harvest of righteousness in our relationships with others. The second mindset that I think this points to is, uh, he says, be fruitful um, and and, and increase, right? Multiply. And and so to have, uh, to increase or to multiply in the world, I'd like to suggest we have to have an investment mindset. And this kind of uh, operates on this principle of compound interest, right? We know what compound interest does for us, right? If we, if we invest a little early on and, and we allow that to, 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 to grow some interest and, and we leave it there and we don't touch it and spend it over years, that compounding interest magnifies exponentially the value of that original investment, which is why we're, we're hopefully trained from early on that, that investing wisely from a younger age is what allows you to have more uh, likelihood of being able to retire right, with some resources at the end of life. We understand this value of compound interest in our own personal lives and in our business lives and in our financial dealings. But I'd also like to suggest that the Bible also identifies for us that we're all treasure hunters in this world. We all live to to gain and maintain and keep and enjoy things that we value. Isn't that true? I mean, our behavior on any given situation of life is our attempt to get what's valuable out of the situation for us. And there are things in your life and in my life that we've assigned particular importance to, and those are the things that we ultimately invest in. The reality is that we often live to possess and experience things in this world upon which we have set our hearts, and we're always living for some kind of treasure. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're, we're treasure hunters. God knows this about us, right? Every treasure that you set your heart on and every activity that you seek will give you some kind of return. The question is, what kind of return are you getting on your investment? An argumentative moment is an investment in the treasure of being right. And from it, you'll get some kind of a relational return. If you aggressively argue the other person into a corner and shout them down so that they finally just shut up and be quiet, it's not likely that the return on that investment will be his or her appreciation of you. Nor will it be the desire to have similar conversations again in the future. But if you invest in the treasure of willing service and you forgo the need to be right for the greater goal of allowing the other person to be heard, you might find that they return the investment of appreciation and respect and you can gain a deeper sense of friendship in the relationship. If it's more valuable to have control in your life than it is for your friend or or your spouse to feel heard or loved and understood, then you'll live with the return of that quality in your relationship. See, investment in life is inescapable. We are all investing every day. You've heard this many times. Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook, right? Where are you investing the time, talent, and treasure that God has given you? Because the, the places where we invest the most reveal those things that we value the most. 
ask yourself this morning, what are the things that are valuable to me right now? What are the things that I work to experience every day and, I, and, I, and I'm unwilling to live without? And are those the things that God would have you investing in as his image bearer in the world? Are you representing your God well? How is the return on those investments shaping your current relationships? And what kind of relationships do you want to have in the future? How can you begin to invest now to ensure that your relationships will be the most God-honoring, righteous relationships, which will bring the greatest joy and sense of purpose in your life. The last mindset that I think we pull out of this Genesis passage is, he says, fill the earth and subdue it. How do you fill the earth and subdue it? Well, I would like to suggest that in order for us to fill the earth, and subdue it according to a biblical vision is that we have to have a grace mentality. And this is based on the principle of unconditional love. See, the central focus of the Bible is not a set of practical principles for life, 10 steps to a happy life. It's not a self-help program. The central theme of the Bible is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. And in that relationship, we discover the deeper meaning and purpose to be a bearer of God's image in the world. And we are called to go into the world and subdue the world, not out of dominance and greed, but out of love and mercy and grace. And, and God reveals to us through Jesus Christ that it is the love of God that overcomes the brokenness and the sin of this world. So if you want to fill the earth and you want to subdue it, then you do it through the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in your life. And you allow the love of God to overflow into your relationships with those around you. If all you and I needed was a knowledge and an understanding of a certain set of God-revealed principles for living, then we wouldn't need a Savior. But the problem with this is that we're not just people in need of wisdom. We're people in need of rescue. And forgive me for saying it, but the thing we need to be rescued from the most is ourselves. When you stand in front of that mirror and you say, <clears throat> I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, how often do we struggle with that knowledge that we are still broken, sinful people? who aspire to, to surrender to God's design in our lives, but sometimes it's more aspirational than actual. See, our fundamental problem is not ignorance of what is right. We know what is right. Our problem is selfishness of heart that causes us to care more about what we want than about what we know is right. So we must not simply hold one another to the high standard of relational, uh, the relational standards of God's word, but we must also daily offer the same grace to one another that we so desperately need ourselves. None of us is going to get it perfect. But we have grace to offer one another, and as we offer grace in love, we are actually overcoming the brokenness of life in this world that is caused by sin, and we are becoming co-creators with God of restoring to humanity the image of God, which he designed into us from the beginning. 
Our confidence isn't that we have the ability to keep God's law, but rather the the life-giving and heart-transforming grace of the one who has drawn us to himself, draws us together as God's people. And in the midst of Christian community, we experience the presence and the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in our lives. So as you go forward this week, as you continue to explore and discover the purpose for why God has designed you the way he's designed you. Remember to have a harvest mindset. Remember to have an investment mindset. And remember to have a grace mindset in every relationship that God brings into your life. Each of these is an essential building block for a healthy, biblical, relational lifestyle that puts us on the pathway to live out the purpose for why Christ has redeemed us and called us to himself is that we become ambassadors of reconciliation in the name of Jesus Christ. We implore you on God's behalf, Paul said, be reconciled to God. God wants a relationship with God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God wants you to be an ambassador of his righteousness to others. God made you the way you are on purpose. He created you with value and with dignity. He's designed you to have a meaningful role in his world. God handcrafted your life to be a reflection of himself. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it through the power of Christ's love. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we are drawn back to the heart of worship, forgive us for the ways that we have made our life of worship about so many other things than the true things that you have called us to. Help us to remember the value of not only being in relationship with you, but how that relationship is designed to to drive us into relationships with others, relationships where we plant seeds of mercy and grace and healing and wholeness and love. And may the fruit of our lives be the fruit of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.